The following podcast contains spoilers and words such as done and bother. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Watched A Thing. It's Billy and Topher. How are you doing, mate? Oh, all the better for hearing that intro. <laughs> well, you know, go big or go home, I always oh. say. That had gusto. Well, mate, been locked down for a while now. I've got plenty of beer in me. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, here we go. This this could be our last record for, for quite a while. Who knows when we're going to get out of this crazy thing and, and finally watch some hobbits do some shit. Yeah, that's right. For those paying keen attention, we'll know that the plan was to do this episode, then do Lord of the Rings. Now, Billy and I decided that we don't want to do our three-parter via video chat. We don't want to do that. We want to do it in person. We want beer. Yeah. I probably want either some wings or some pizza or at least some southern fry. You know, something yeah. of that nature. So, we're going to wait until we can do that. But, of course, we don't know how long that's going to be. Who knows how long it's going to be? So, here's the deal, though. We told you that that was episode 200. That's not going to change. So everything from here till then, I'm just going to list as bonus. <laughs> and I don't know what I don't know what's going to come up. I don't know how long this is going to be. We could be locked down for three, four months. So you might just have three, four months of I, I, I don't know what I, I don't know. Maybe I'll do an episode on native birds. I don't, I don't know. We'll see I'll what probably happens. skip that. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know. The the yellow tit is a lovely, lovely bird. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> no, I mean, I promise there'll be movies. Uh, I'll, I'll get some guests on. I reckon that first up, we'll most likely have our great friend Sam Hurley. He said he'll do an episode on Pig with me, that new Nicolas Cage flick. We're here to talk about another kind of scary animal. <laughs> Are you referring to the pig or Nicolas Cage? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are talking my favourite film- of all time, uh, Jurassic Park. Fuck yeah. Fuck yes. Yes. Fuck, I love this movie. It was so Have a couple of fun. white guys ever sat down in front of microphones and talked about Jurassic Park before? I doubt it. We, we'd be the first, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely, we would. Just like we were the first to do it about Star Wars last week. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, that probably- that probably uh, It's time for the show to end if, if we've devolved to talking about Star Wars- <laughs> yeah living our best life though yeah um now look i'm just gonna assume that you love this movie as much as i do and always have right i'm sick for this film who wouldn't be there are times where my partner will walk into the room and i've been flicking around netflix and i'm just like don't go past it and she'll walk in and be like really <laughs> again and i'm like um yeah this is the the thing about this movie for me is that there is never a wrong moment for this. Like there are plenty of movies that I absolutely adore, but if I'm not in the right mood for them, it's just not going to happen. As you say though, I I rewatched this just last year because I was flicking through channels and this was in its opening scene and I was like, "Well, why the fuck would I not watch this?" <laughs> it's just amazing. It's very much in the conversation for the biggest deal of a movie coming out of my life. 
culturally, obviously, it was up there. It was just a massive deal. But on a personal note, this movie came out when I was like 10 or 11 years old, and I was a massive dinosaur kid. I mean, you can just imagine if you're if you're that kid and this film comes out, like I I was like I lived in terror that my parents were gonna decide that it's probably too scary, you can't go see it. I was terrified. And then it happened and we got to it and we went and saw it. And it was Jurassic Park and it was fucking amazing. I was very lucky to have quite loose cinematic parents. <laughs> like, I'm sure I'm sure I've told stories on this show before about the kind of things that I was watching as a kid, but I will never, ever forget seeing the teaser trailer for this at the cinemas. And it, I don't know if you will remember this. It was just a giant footprint in the mud filled with murky water that was doing the the vibration thing. And that's all the trailer was. And I went sick for it immediately and was like, I need to see this. I, like, I just, I need to see this movie. So, your el- like, your eldest daughter is a dinosaur kid. When, when does she get to see it? Well, it's funny. You know, my wife and I had that discussion just the other day because she asks constantly, you know, can I watch Jurassic Park? Like, can I watch it? You know, and, like, she, she plays, like, Lego Jurassic Park on the Nintendo and stuff. As I said last week, she's a little bit of a scaredy cat. So, if it weren't for that, I'd, I'd let her now. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. The thing for this film with me is, as you were saying, you were a giant dino head. Every kid loved this movie. And kids that weren't into dinosaurs, this movie turned them into dinosaur nuts. Like, I, my best friend growing up was fucking obsessed with dinosaurs. Like, it sounds very similar to you. You have a type. Yeah. <laughs> Bowl cuts, overalls, dinosaur heads. <laughs> but what's really funny about this movie for me is that it didn't do that for me. This was the first movie that made me go crazy for filmmaking and, like, storytelling. And it got me reading from a very young age. Like, wanting to read Jurassic Park after this film. And I remember my auntie having, like, the paperback of it and she lent it to me. I, I just- I went crazy for, you know, like, how how they made this movie. Like, how they made it so fucking real. This movie's good enough that the brand of it is sustaining a franchise that has exactly one good film in it. Exactly. This is the only good one. And yet- Like, we're, we'll, we will soon get the sixth film yeah. in the series. It will almost certainly be bad. And yet it endures. And it's on the strength- of the first one. And there was a giant gap between the third one and the Jurassic World reboot. We're talking, I mean, not 20 years, but we're, we're talking probably, what, like 15 years at least? And yet you see this font or you see that silhouette of the T-Rex skeleton. Take my money. Exactly. It just, it makes your heart sore. <laughs> So, we are, of course, talking about Jurassic Park, 1993 American science fiction action film directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by Kathleen Kennedy, first installment- Kathy in- Kennedy, our yeah, gal. our gal. First installment in the Jurassic Park franchise. That'd be two movies in a row where Kathy Kennedy was involved. Let's drink to Kathy. <laughs> Here's for you, Kathy. Based on the 1990 novel of the same name by Michael Crichton, with a screenplay written by Crichton and David Culp, it, of course, stars- nearly forgot to do this. I, I mean, we're only 
you know, 200 episodes in, stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Attenborough, Bob Peck, Martin Ferrero, B.D. Wong, Samuel L. Jackson, and Wayne Knight. <laughs> and uh, what is it about, Tove? A Walt Disney-esque man has created a, uh, a sanctuary, if you will, yeah. on an island for dinosaurs. He spared no expense. Spared no expense. <laughs> yes. Well, fuck, no, because he hired N- Nedrick. But anyway, <laughs> he's done this. There are dinosaurs. People are going to come and look at them. Yeah. Shit's probably going to go bad. Probs. <laughs> I mean, dinosaurs, they're untested, mate. You don't know what they're going to do. Just ask a chaos titian. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did this movie do more for dinosaurs or chaos theory? Ooh. Oh, I mean, this definitely brought chaos. Or wearing before. your black shirt open while injured. I have a note about that later on, which I think okay. I think you'll find fascinating. <laughs> I hope I do. Uh, I mean, okay. Do you reckon we'd get the butterfly effect, the film, without this film before it? Do you think people would oh. care enough about chaos? If that you know that makes me like Jurassic Park a bit less. <laughs> Should we start at the very beginning? It's a very good place to start. This movie starts with this really cool little scene of what we will learn is a velociraptor being moved into its enclosure. And through intelligence and strength, it fucks some shit up. And going into, like, you're going into this film. I, I think even as kids, there was this sense that we knew it was a Spielberg film. Like, I, I think I was probably just old enough that I knew who Spielberg was. I knew that he had done those other movies that I really liked. Yeah. And so, you have some idea that this is the guy. This is the adventure guy. This is the fun guy. Yeah. This thing's pro- this this is not going to be a horror film. No. This I is mean, gonna, well, it's like it is a Spielberg film. You, you would have been a big indie fan by this point. Of course. Yeah. Ra- like, Rage of the Ma- would have been a massive Indiana Jones fan. Um then you get this opening scene that kind of makes you think anything can happen because it's not like all the way dark. It's not like you see blood and guts and that kind of thing. It's, it is still Spielberg. Yeah. But it made you think that maybe what you were watching was going to be really dark. Yes. And that also anything could happen. It almost feels like your typical TV series cold open mm. where it's it's almost- Absolutely. It's, it's like tangentially related to what follows, but- it, what it really does is it sets the tone. It sets the world. You know, like already we know this is a world where there is a dinosaur. Before anything else happens on screen, before the science is explained to us, we know that there is a dinosaur in that cage and it's going to fuck shit up. And as you say, it gets your expectations ready for what is to follow. You know, another fun thing about the opening scene is that, like, I wouldn't have realised it at the time because I didn't read the book until after I'd seen the film. It is actually a cool wink to the prologue of the book mm. without actually doing the prologue of the book. It's amazing how similar and yet how different the book is. Like, it's funny because my understanding is that he wrote the screenplay virtually the same time as the book. He wrote them hand in hand. Yeah, because the rights were sold before the book came out, of, of course. Exactly. Yes. And, I mean, you know, this this movie comes out only, what, three years after the book? So, it's, it's a pretty tight turnaround. It's amazing how much of it stays and yet how different it can be 
at parts, even down to, as I'm sure we'll get to later, character deaths. Yeah, yeah. But the amount of the book that is dedicated to the science of how this works, you know, like there are chapters upon chapters just talking about the company InGen and how they created this technology. And even though so much of that isn't used in the film, I think what it really does is sets this level of realism because, okay, we know it's not real. No matter how far-fetched it seems that dinosaurs could come back, there's always a little part of you that just because the science is so well nutted out in this film, you, you really kind of believe it that, it, that it could happen. There, there was no kid remotely like me who didn't walk out of this film and think, well, maybe. Exactly, exactly. And even today, even re-watching this last night, you're like, you know what? Even if this couldn't happen, it sounds fairly plausible. Like, it, it really does. We know that cloning works. Mosquitoes suck blood. Like, I mean, honestly. It's it does, all there. Yeah. Like, it, it, you, could, you, could, you could piece it together. Without question. <laughs> and that is explained in the film, the, the science behind it, when they kind of take the ride, as it were. And they kind of stop the film almost to be like, we're just going to explain some shit at you. It, you would be like, oh, this is just lazy storytelling if it weren't so fucking engaging. I, I kind of know what you're saying, but I'll actually disagree with you a little bit there. Because I think what this film does really well is that very rarely does it talk directly to the audience. You know, like, I think what's really nice about that scene is that, and part of the reason it's so engaging, is that Grant and Sadler- us, they are even more curious than us as the audience members yeah, are. Yeah, they're sat there doing full Spielberg face for big chunks of time. They are so invested in, well, how and how do you do this and how do you do that? You don't believe that they're asking questions for the sake of getting the answer to the audience. You believe that they are genuinely curious and want to know the answers to these questions. So, I actually watched it with subtitles on the other night because the baby was asleep. This movie, there's big, there's big noises in this film. Yeah, I was like, I can't watch it that loud. Well, yeah, we, we watched it in the home theater. It actually had our seven year old come down at one point, asking us to turn it down. <laughs> we <laughs> thought we thought she was asleep. So I had the subtitles on, and this happens with anything that I ever watch with on the you know the very rare occasion that I'm watching something in English with subtitles on that you realize even things you've seen the amount of times that I've seen this film you realise there are things that, like the gene sequencing, you just filled in the gap. Yeah, yeah. And didn't even realise you didn't know. And I had never realised before that in, in the scene where they're explaining to them, this is how it works, we fill in the gaps with Frog's DNA, Grant says something about, I don't know, the gene sequence, and Malcolm says something along the lines of, yeah, but they never get a full sequence. And I'm like- well, how the fuck do you know that? <laughs> That's some pretty weird conversation right there. The mathematician's like, oh, yeah, but no, they'll never get a full sequence. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, stay in your fucking lane, Malcolm. <laughs> this is uh, it's very Michael Crichton, you know. It, I mean, it was a long time ago now that I made you watch Sphere. <laughs> Oof. Very similar thing. It's assembling a team of people and you're like, okay, why are you bringing a mathematician to the bottom of the ocean to look at this thing? Um, but, you know, Crichton is a doctor 
And he likes to insert as much science as he can from different perspectives into his stories. And I think that's really interesting. But you're right. It's like, well, yeah, why- why why would he be saying this? Why would like is there any actual reason you would have a chaostician come to this island like apart from the fact that it fucking slaps and you get lines <laughs> like life uh uh, uh finds a way. <laughs> like the other thing about watching it with closed captions on is just you can't help but think about the person who had to type out Goldblum's line readings yeah. because it's like it's like every third word you have to put comma uh well, here's a question for you. Do you think that any of that was scripted or do you think that that's pure Goldblum? I mean, it feels Goldblum, doesn't it? I'll tell you right now. It's Goldblum. It is scripted with a pause. So, it's scripted to have a beat after life before finds a way. But the- uh, like it, it actually <laughs> the, adds uh, it adds so uh. much to it. It's not like it's not like Joey and friends like smell the fart, you know, kind of take a pause. Like what he adds to it is this depth of realism that he is thinking through these thoughts as he says them. It's a pretty sick move to cast Sam Neill in this movie. Like he is so against, like he's he's slightly older. He's not particularly handsome like Harrison Ford, and yet somehow he just works so well. Because they went so well. to Ford. Did they really? Yeah. Right. And he thought, he thought, no, I don't think I'm quite right for this. If it's Harrison Ford, you're like, just punch the raptor. Yeah. You actually really buy him as just a paleontologist. Like, he's this kind of- dull, older science guy who gets thrown into this situation. It's, it's like the equivalent of Bruce Willis in um, Die in Hard. that famous movie. <laughs> yes. You'll cut the pause out. <laughs> Will I? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just such fucking great casting there. Because it's one of those roles, of course, that as soon as you've seen it, you can't think of it being anyone else. Exactly. Uh, and, I mean, Laura Dern, fantastic in this movie. Sattler's really great, actually. I really dig Sattler. Um, and she gets my favourite line of the entire film. Dinosaur kills man, women inherit the earth. One of the great things about it is if you watch Sam Neill's reaction in the background. Yeah. Where he's just like, yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny, you know, because there's quite there's a lot of- uh, toxic masculinity on display in this film, particularly from Goldblum, you know, like when he's fucking playing with her hair and shit. Dude. Oh, my God. I I actually, I've seen this movie probably over a hundred times. Never really thought about that until last night watching it. You're just sitting there going, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Don't play with it. You creep. But you know, one thing I love is that these characters are so well fleshed out and I love the performances of them. Sam Neill's Grant, he doesn't give in to that toxic masculinity jealous streak at those times. You know, he's comfortable. He's like, he's fine. Very rarely does he, you know, feel threatened, which is actually quite nice because in most movies, that would be the way it plays out. It doesn't leap to a defense because actually Ellie Sattler's a grown up and he's fine. That's right. And also he's right. Kids do smell. (laughs) Well, that's a fact. Yeah. (laughs) Elsewhere in the cast, one of the very early people we meet is Discount Jonathan Price as the slimy lawyer. Yes. (laughs) A guy who is in a film we talked about recently because he's in heat for like eight seconds. Is he really? He's the guy selling parts to Val Kilmer like right at the beginning. Right. 
That's that guy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I kind of feel like he should have had a career beyond just being discount Jonathan Price in this movie. But no, just getting smashed by a T-Rex off the bogger was it for him. He arguably is the least fleshed out character in the film. He he's Every line out of his mouth is about money. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, I mean, his coupon line is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just we'll have in, a just coupon in, day. Yeah. Just like, how much can we make you hate this guy? It's really, really good. Have you ever figured this out? Because I have not. And like you, I don't know. I don't know how many times I've watched this film, but it's a lot. When we meet Hammond, how did Hammond get from the helicopter to the trailer without them noticing? That helicopter has just touched down when Grant runs up and is like, Oi, cut the fucking rotors, mate. Yeah. And he's pointing at the at the trailer, like, go over there. He must have, like, fucking parachuted out. I don't, the only thing I can think is that he looks like Santa Claus and, and has Santa Claus's powers. Well, he played Santa Claus. Yeah. He came in down the fucking chimney. <laughs> there you go. That or he's just fucking Jason Bourne. I mean, who's who's better? Richard Attenborough or David Attenborough? If you have an Attenborough off. It's got to be David. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Great casting, though, having an Attenborough play this kind of- you know, wildlife enthusiast who takes it too far. <laughs> yeah. And he hadn't he hadn't been on screen in a long time. No. It's shocking to me that he's uh David Attenborough's older brother because he's very youthful seeming in this film. Really? The old dude? Oh he is an old dude, but he seems quite spry. <laughs> <laughs> and and doesn't mind a drink. Well, I mean that's how Bless you his heart. that's how you keep youthful. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you one character I've always loved is the cab driver who drops off Dodgson to meet Nedry. And like, I don't know if he like doesn't tip him or was just a prick on the ride over, but just in the background as Dodgson's leaving the taxi to go find Nedry, you just see him in the background be like, fuck you, pal. <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> cab driver, possibly best on ground. <laughs> I mean, is there in history a case of more on-the-nose casting than Wayne Knight as Nedry? Just a fucking sleazeball. And you cannot- uh, They must have known that audiences can't see this guy and separate him from Newman. <laughs> as the years have gone by, Billy, yeah. I have come to this conclusion. I wish it wasn't Wayne Knight. I actually agree with you because it's so on-the-nose for me that it actually takes away from it. It's a bit cartoonish for me. I mean, speaking of the cartoonish, there's stuff- Again, it's it's crazy to me the amount of times I've seen this film. I never, ever noticed before. There is a scene in the control room where we're focused on Samuel L, a couple of other blokes, sitting at their desk. The camera pans over to Nedry's desk. And there's just shit all over the floor. There's like fucking paper, pizza boxes, all kind of stuff, bags of chips. And you're like- Wow, that's really that's that's a little bit unsubtle, Spielberg. <laughs> like, I don't know. We we know this guy is a slime ball. We don't need to see that his desk is covered in trash to get that. <laughs> fat computer guy being fat computer exactly. guy. Exactly. And it's almost like like a spotlight of trash. Like it's just like this perfect circle of junk around his desk and you're like that's it's actually unrealistic. <laughs> I've, you know, I've read that this happens several times, but I've never actually, it's never caught my eye 
when watching it that Nedry is watching Jaws. I keep seeing it in trivia, but then every time I watch the film, I forget <laughs> to look out for it. So at, at this point in time, I'm just trusting that it happens. It does. I, I noticed. I, I took note. <laughs> mm, nicely done, sir. Um, do you think that- th- uh, You probably do, but this is my favourite film of all time. Do you think that there's a better establishing shot in all of cinema- than the reveal of the island when they're coming in on the helicopter and the score swells. And what I love about it is that it is an establishing shot in some senses, but it's actually really tight. It's not I, it's not this big wide shot where you can see the whole island. And that actually makes it feel more vast to me that you're seeing just these glimpses of it as they, as they come in. Fucking beautiful. Look, I do love the sequence, but what I would say that for me, I do find it score dependent. You think that without the score, it wouldn't- I think without that score, yeah, I just don't think that shot lives on in the way that it does remotely. Not not even close. Have you seen the clips where people have replaced the score with bad recorder renditions? No, but I would like to. It's fucking gold. Look up Jura- Jurassic Park recorder. The the best one is the one where you first see the the Brachiosauruses, and <laughs> it's just like do 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 do. <laughs> fucking classic. <laughs> hey, speaking of approaching the island in the helicopter, yeah, this had never occurred to me before, but I don't know how long they've been on that thing for. But they're very close to the island before Hammond introduces these people. Yeah, 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 that, that's true. I don't know how long- What, were, the, what were they doing for the first half of the trip? <sighs> and it's before the days where you could just, like, play a game on your phone or anything. Yep. No one's got a book. Yeah. I mean, what are they- Are they sitting there in silence? <laughs> I, I think so. Just really awkward silence. I mean, we don't know how long the flight is. This is one of the things- Isla Nuba, it's never really established where in the ocean this is. Like, is it off America somewhere? They're going by chopper, not by plane. So, it's not like there's a ton of gas there. I can't remember if it's even ever established whether it's East Coast or West Coast of South America. Is there a possibility that this is like a half hour chopper flight? Like, what is the range on a helicopter, really? Even if it's a half hour chopper flight, that was still 28 minutes of nothing. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't like thinking of flaws in this movie. (laughs) Mate, they make dinosaurs. It's okay to- (laughs) Speaking of flaws, you know who is flawless? B.D. Wong. (laughs) Guy hasn't aged. (laughs) Like, he is just a fucking beautiful machine. He made a stunning impact in this film for, like, 90 seconds screen time. Yeah. Because I remember when he popped up in Jurassic World and everyone was like, oh, sick. Cheering. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then you watch this and it's like, the dude ha- the dude is barely in this movie. Yeah. He's Captain Exposition for about 45 seconds and that's really it. We get a very early Sam Jackson appearance in this film. He looks really, really young. I love Jackson in this film. It's back when he used to try. <laughs> I think this is his best performance for me. And it's a shame that he's in it so little, but he's actually in it a lot more than you realise, I think. Like, you think of you think of him as a bit of a bit player, but he's- I mean, he's in it more than B.D. Wong. <laughs> An awful lot more than B.D. Wong. Jackson rules in this film. He was meant to have a death scene, but then 
it was going to be, I can't remember what happened. Maybe it was going to be picked up in reshoots. Something happened and he couldn't come back for the death scene that he was supposed to get. You're meant to see him get absolutely owned by a raptor. And instead, I mean, in retrospect, it prob- you'd have to say it probably works out better. The surprise dismembered arm that Ellie cops on the shoulder. It's a big throwback to Jaws when they discover Ben's head that just floats out. And in some ways, just seeing that is a lot more scary than actually seeing the attack. Speaking of things that attack, before this film, no one said T-Rex. We just said Tyrannosaurus Rex. We said Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then in an instant, it was a T-Rex. And that was on the back of just one of the greatest movie scenes of all time. Fucking breathtaking shit. (laughs) You know what? Like- not everything in this movie holds up 100%, but it is shocking how good this film looks nearly 30 years on. Like, we are 28 years on at this point, and the majority of it holds up staggeringly well. But like, how good this T-Rex looks is crazy. There's parts of that whole sequence, the T-Rex attack on, on the cars, where- camera's shooting between its legs or something like that and it is kind of a bit okay yeah those legs are awfully stationary yeah because it's the big animatronic one and whatever when you're watching the film you can well depend i suppose it depends on how you watch the film i don't think i can watch this sequence anymore without having some sort of awareness of the filmmaking of it where i'm just like yep that's a big static leg right there but the moment where that thing busts through the fence and roars. It's still, I, I don't know how many times we've seen this film, but it's still just fucking amazing. And it lacks so much of the flash and rubbish mm. of recent Jurassic Park films, where the thing, the camera, or, you know, virtual camera would probably be spinning around this thing's head and doing God knows what. Yeah. It's a camera close to the ground that shows you this thing in relation to the things around it and makes you just go, holy shit. And part of what makes that scene work so well is is the build-up to it. The way that this film ratchets up the tension, you know, from 20 minutes prior, or maybe even earlier, when they drive past the T-Rex cage and- They can't see it. They're waiting there for a very long time. Nothing happens. They're like, well, this is fucking boring. They come back later and the goat is still there. And the way the tension ramps up, what I love about, you know, people talk about the score for this movie and the score is fucking breathtaking. But what people forget is how the film uses silence. You know, like that entire sequence prior to the T-Rex, there's no score for- probably a good 10 minutes of this film when they're sitting in the cars, Malcolm and Grant are talking, the kids are playing with the torch, the lawyer's telling them off. There's no score at all. All you hear is the sound of the rain. And then when he looks over in the night vision goggles and the goat is gone, and when that leg lands on the roof of the car, it the way that this film builds tension over and over again on top of itself is insane. Yeah, this thing is a lot smaller than a than a kaiju that we would see exactly in a modern film, but it feels bigger. Yes, because of the way that it's shot, um, and also like I mean, it, like it's definitely yes because of the way it's shot. The the audio in that sequence is also just absolutely stunning. I mean, this is always my every time I get a new sound system, 
this is the test for me. This is the movie I threw on. When we first moved into our house and built the home theater, first thing I watched. Every time I get a new TV, first thing I watch because it just, as you say, the audio in that sequence is so well put together. And not just the sounds of the dinosaur. You think when the car is flipped and you get the sounds of the car kind of crushing as it's searching for the kids. Speaking of the kids, Dr. Grant's expression when child actors turn up. <laughs> that's how I feel as well, Dr. Grant. Yeah. That's how I feel. Okay, but how do you feel about these child actors? You don't hate these performances, do you? They're pretty bad. Oh, fuck off. They're pretty bad. You just have a prejudice for child actors. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mate. And this is this is a tricky one because the story doesn't work. Without them. Nearly as well without them. Absolutely. But also- they're there. <laughs> I actually, th- I actually think that these are pretty good child performances. I don't think they're the best, but they're pretty good. I tell you what's tough, possibly even tougher than child actors, is Alan Grant telling his partner that a drooling, ill, eight thousand kilogram beast is the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. <laughs> That's low key hilarious. <laughs> I never really thought about it before. And then I was like, that might be the funniest moment of this film. <laughs> Grant telling Sattler that this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He says it to her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. He's effectively telling her that he'll still think she's pretty when she's pregnant. <laughs> Just this drooling giant beast. <laughs> it's not like it's it's not even there in all its majesty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's 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 sad and hunched yeah. over. I tell you Sounds what, like though. Buffalo Bill taunting someone down a well. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, and this just goes to show um, how little is needed. You know, like as you were saying, I think these days, every cameras are constantly moving, animals are constantly moving. That scene of that virtually static Triceratops. How good does that look? Like, the care that went into the modelling of that thing. Great detail on it. Um, Like, I mean, look, it does look like a big animatronic. Like, it does. You reckon? But it looks like a very good one. I don't know. It looks- it it really holds up to me, that. I think that, you know, like, the the reveal of the the Brachiosauruses, that wasn't as good on a rewatch. But that Triceratops is very good. Particularly the head. Yes. It's really good. Um, also, the Gallimimus, that, like, I mean, you know, it's early CGI. It's held up better than it probably had any right to. Yeah. But that's another sequence now that, like, the Brachiosaurus is like, yes, that's definitely a cartoon dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Tell you which dinosaur I don't love. Is it is it frilly? It's the incredibly static Dilophosaurus, which I don't know if they ran out of time or budget, but, like, this thing just doesn't move. It's just only ever- it just stands in front of Nedry. That's all it does. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that- I think that's a specific choice. And I actually really like that. You know- It's you- not. It's <laughs> not. They wanted to do more and they couldn't. I don't know. You think about, as I said, the ratcheting of tension. There's something- that you think about like the Jason walk, for example. Jason doesn't run after people. He, he walks at a very slow pace and he stands there and something about that is scary. Still a lot faster than the Dilophosaurus. I don't know. I think there's something to be said for a creature that doesn't need to chase you down. To just stand there and still be 
threatening. Well, I mean, no one needs to chase down Nedry. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't really, I don't like the Dilophosaurus. I would like it more if the Compies, which wind up bobbing up in the sequel and in the book kill someone else. Yeah. I'd like it more if he got smashed by a flock of them. Fair enough. I mean, you know, we're dealing with a limited runtime here, mate. You're not, you're not going to cram in every fucking dinosaur. <laughs> Why not? I want all the dinosaurs, Billy. <laughs> I really love the, the storytelling and the way that the story unfolds in this film because I think it's kind of unusual in a lot of ways. Like, this is a film that very heavily echoes- Like, a big part of this film is about chaos theory- and I think that this echoes that very well. You know, like, Nedry is a bad guy. It's it's not like this film- It's not like the, the, the recent films where you've got your, your bloody army guy who wants to use them as weapons and chases them down. You've got a bad guy. What happens here is that through Nedry's actions, other things happen. And I think that that's a really, really nice way to tell this story and to, and to have things unfold. But it's a good thing about Nedry. He's a guy who gets his comeuppance fairly early on. That's right. Because um, he's he's a bad guy, but he's not the bad guy. Yeah. Um, the closest thing that there is to the true villains are the raptors, but even they're not the bad guys. It's, well, they're it's, just animals. They're just following instinct. It's Malcolm's idea that the lack of control is what they're up against. Yes, exactly. The, I mean, honestly, the closest thing we get to a bad guy is Hammond. Absolutely. It's one of my nitpicks is that Hammond makes it out of this film alive. Yeah, you wish that he would die. Like in the book, he should die. Like he's- the clo- of, of the humans in it, he's actually, I think, the closest thing to the villain. Like obviously there's Nedry and he cops it for being a greedy prick. Yeah. Um, the lawyer cops it for being a slimy, greedy lawyer. For being a lawyer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jackson cops it for being black. But yeah, as was the style at the time. So Hammond should clearly die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he should. He should. There's no reason for him to live. I mean, as you've said, he dies in the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think the reason- Do you think it's just because Richard Attenborough is so cuddly? <laughs> you know, people just didn't want him to die? Yeah, you can't kill Santa. You can't kill Santa. You mustn't. Because <laughs> yeah, if you kill Santa, as we all know, you become Santa, whether you want to or not. I've seen that documentary about Tim Allen. <laughs> all robot Santa takes over. Oh, yeah, like in Futurama. Mm. Yeah, and you get Xmas. <laughs> yes. Guy was a dick. <laughs> are we, are we going to get into spoiler territories with the book? I think it's okay. It's 30 years old. Do you think Malcolm should die? No. So you're okay with that change? Yes, because okay. you can't kill Malcolm. You, you can. <laughs> you can't. You can. All right, let me ask you this. All right. Malcolm- we get, obviously, that insanely famous and wonderful scene after he's been injured. Shirt unbuttoned. <laughs> we have a good five-second rack in on him of just him yeah. breathing. <laughs> for some- You know, the, the equivalent of Princess Leia in the gold bikini for some people. Yes. I'd like to ask you this. Was it scripted that he was shirtless? <laughs> or did they just say, on the day, give us a look at that rig? Yeah. I'm going to say on the day, like like the delivery of his lines. You are correct. Here's how it's written in the script verbatim. 
The mood in the room is hopeless. Malcolm, his wounds bandaged, but in real pain, hangs around with Ellie and Muldoon, hoping for some development, while Ray Arnold is still at the computer terminal and looking a mess. <laughs> that's that's all it says. Doesn't say anything about him being shirtless. Doesn't say that he's, you know, the focus of a shot for several mm. seconds. They're like, we saw that rig in the fly. Give us a squeeze. Yeah. I fucking love Goldblum. He's such a good looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my favourite shot of this film involves Goldblum, and it's it's not even that one. Although that one is great. <laughs> the, 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 the little push in on open shirt Malcolm is obviously great. But maybe my favourite shot of this film, which is one of those classic Spielberg shots that probably particularly, I assume, if you're a camera operator, like me, this shit just tickles you. Yeah. That when when Spielberg does a thing where there's no cuts, it's a one shot, but it's not a flashy one shot. It's just a shot that becomes something else that becomes something else doing very little. And there's a masterful example of it in this film. Sattler and Old Mate have just found him post T-Rex attack. Yeah. And he's in the Jeep as they're checking out the crashed car. And all the camera does is pan down. We go from a, a mid shot of Malcolm- we pan down to a footprint of the T-Rex and it's filled with water. It does the little ripple thing. Yeah. And so we've racked focus to the footprint. We get the ripple, which absolutely rules. It's actually my favourite ripple in the film, even more than the first one that Tim sees. Yeah, same. I love the footprint ripple. And then we don't move the camera again. We just pull focus to Malcolm's reflection in the water and him looking just absolutely packing it. Yeah. It's so simple, but who who else fucking thinks of that shot? That's what Spielberg is really genius at. As you say, there's not there's not vast camera movements here. It's very very smart framing and composition and movement that always always serves the story and the sequence. I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> You're lucky to take the lens cap off. <laughs> I don't set up lights. You know, this. there's a reason that the camera has a gain button made. <laughs> Speaking of lights, how weird is it that this is the only collaboration between Spielberg and this cinematographer? That's it. Yeah, that's crazy. That's weird. It is weird. It is weird. How much did he hate this guy? <laughs> it's not like it's bad work. <laughs> Tell you what's wild. Like mentioned before, that the, the Raptors are kind of the closest thing we get to the main villain, other than lack of control. Yeah. One hour 43 until we get a good look at a Raptor. Yeah. Like, take that Jaws. People think that's restraint. Mm. One thing I love about the dinosaurs in this film is that they're just animals. There aren't good dinosaurs and bad dinosaurs. Yeah. As happens in the, the, the more recent ones where, like, you get these good- Velociraptors. Yeah. And then the whatever the fuck it is, the the Indominus Rex <laughs> in Jurassic World. Yeah. Where at one point someone says that it's killing for sport. Yeah. It's like, what? What? Yeah. There's, it's a very smart screenplay. You know, you think of, of Grant's line when they go to give the T-Rex the goat and he says, T-Rex doesn't want to- doesn't want to be fed. It wants to hunt, you know, like- it's just that genius setting up of, yeah, well, this is just an, an animal, 
you know, and you get and your- T-Rex is like, well, hang on, mate. <laughs> if, if they're going to just give me some food, maybe I want that. Yeah, look, you know, like I like to I like to drive through as much as the next person, but if someone's going to bring me some nuggets, I'm all for that. <laughs> so drive through is Billy's idea of hunting. That's my idea of hunting. I'm going out. I'm leaving now. Man, I'm fucking locked down. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> Um, And you still, you get your little Godzilla moment at the end where the T-Rex kind of saves the day. But, yeah, you never, it's not that the T-Rex is good now and the Velociraptors are bad. It's just that it's having fun hunting these fucking Velociraptors. And, And it would just as easily turn around and fucking kill the humans if they don't get out of there. Look, I really like that moment. It's except It's exceptionally cool. It's also shockingly convenient, the timing of it. And how did no one notice that there was a T-Rex in the room? Well, you know, these things happen, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I go through my life and don't notice many things. (laughs) Uh, Great, great moment. Not one you want to think about too much. Um, Can we talk about possibly the greatest Hacker moment of all time. <laughs> it's a Unix system. I know this. <laughs> and you're still pro the kids. <laughs> it's a pretty dumb line and it's a pretty dumb piece of design. Like, even back then, we knew that this wasn't what computer systems looked like. Very rarely. I've never seen a computer system where you had to search through, like, a virtual landscape to find files. Yeah. Imagine if it had been, like, the the major bit of character development in the film, if it was actually, like, there were no kids. And it's Alan Grant who goes from hating computers to a Unix system. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the helicopter at the end, instead of having the kids under his arms, he's just got fucking hard drives. <laughs> just like those, those, those old, big, coloured Macintoshes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know this was the single, I think it still is, it's the it's the largest payday that anyone has ever received for a film ever, is what Spielberg made for this movie. Really? I presume that it must be the cut of box office he had was like a, a pretty staggering percentage because apparently he made $250 million. Wow. I can barely imagine making $250. <laughs> <laughs> that would be enough for me to be like, that's it. I'm podcasting full time. <laughs> There's an interesting alternate universe where, because the rights for this film was locked up for Spielberg, uh, uh, apparently they beat out Cameron by hours, not days, hours. And Cameron, I think, was probably pretty pissed. And then saw the movie in the greatest moment of humility ever shown by Jim Cameron, I suspect. Yeah. He actually said, no, as it turns out, Spielberg was the right guy to do this. Because his would have been, like- Vastly, ali- vastly his, his, would, his would have been more alien. The, the interesting thing about it- and, and I do, like, I do really want to see that film. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Going back to, you know, last week where, you know, the whole what if concept, <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad movie. Yeah. I do not want to trade in the Jurassic Park that we have. But holy shit, I do want to see early 90s Cameron Jurassic Park. Yeah, it would have leaned much more into the horror aspect. Probably more into the science too, much like the book does. 
Yeah, especially if he is following up T2 with this. Exactly. And he's in real he's in real sci-fi mode because of all, you know, the hard science involved in Terminator. Yeah. I mean, that's what's interesting about this book and and the film is there are so many different ways to interpret it. Like I think it works from a sci-fi perspective, from a fantasy perspective, from an adventure perspective. And th- this was Crichton's, you know, like third attempt at this really. Like this is very reminiscent of Westworld. I was going to say he'd kind of already done it. Exactly. Um, he'd actually written- He wrote this as a screenplay before he wrote it as a novel, but very different. That was about a grad student who discovered how to clone dinosaurs. And then he went, well, you know, cloning's actually really expensive and, you know, why would someone do it? And that's when he had the idea, oh, of course, it would be for entertainment. It would be for a theme mm. bark. Like, if someone's going to do this, that would be why. Um, very smart storyteller. Very very sad that he's gone because he had some great works. And Spielberg stepped away from ER to do this. Like, they were going to do ER as a movie. Really? Yeah. So, here's, an, here's another what if. If Cameron is two hours early with a phone call, we don't get George Clooney. I'm all right with that. <gasps> I'm not the Clooney head that the rest of the world is. How dare you? Like, tell you what, I got nothing against the Clue Clue. Not a name. He's all right. I, I don't I don't have the same level of love for him the rest of the world does, especially these days. I mean, these days, he's just a rich asshole. <laughs> Well, these days he's just—he's very rich from ne- from Nespresso. <laughs> yes, exactly. And doesn't doesn't he do? Is he in the tequila game? Ah, uh, probably. A lot of them seem to be. Yeah, he's in some kind of game. I don't know if it's tequila or vodka. Some something. Uh, yeah, he does something with with drinks. Oh, there you go. Hang on. Uh, the film is set on the fictional island of Isla Nublar, located off Central America's Pacific coast near Costa Rica. Right there, you go. There you go. <laughs> bit bit late. I can't remember how long ago we spoke about that, but I I just came across it. <laughs> Good info. <laughs> All right, are we done? Yes, sure. Oh, no, no, do you have more? I'm I'm no no, I, no I'm done. No, I'm I, done. Could, I could talk for hours, mate. Let's do it. I had a pretty sweet T-shirt. Oh, yeah, I loved those T-shirts. Actually, that was the other- Like, when they're in the cafe and you see all that merchandise, fucking smart movie making that the merchandise for the movie is built into the movie itself. <laughs> I know. It was very smart. Now, when I see it, I'm just a little bit- I'm a bit jaded about it well, now. That's only because it's I'm become like, a franchise, though. But I can't help it. Now, I'm just like, you assholes, you were selling <laughs> this thing as we were watching it. And it fucking worked. I, fucking I wanted worked. everything. I wanted those lunch boxes. I, how how nice did the food in that cafe look? Just quietly. How was that nice food all still there? Yeah, I know, right? I didn't see chefs around. Like, how many people did they think they were feeding? There is an int- there's like three tables of dessert. I know, and the, just sitting there. The park isn't for open. Who? Yet. That food is going to spoil. <laughs> all right. Weird. How are you scoring Jurassic Park? I'm gonna go. Yeah, what? There's child actors, mate. It can't be a 10. That's fucked. I'm going nine. <laughs> That's fucked. <laughs> I mean, similar to you last week, I kind of can't separate this. I've logged it as a 10 every time I've watched it in the last, you know, since I've started using Letterboxd, which already is about four or five times. Uh, it, I, I can never give this less than a 10. It, for me, it is a perfect film. It holds a very special place in my heart, this film. I fucking love it. 
I'm so I'm so glad that we did this, you know, this kind of look back at, at Jedi and Jurassic Park. This has just been so much fun. Jurassic Park becomes our equal highest rated film between us. We've never had a 20. We have never had a 20. Is it equal with The Godfather? But we've had, we've had been- 19s. Yeah. Um, so Godfather was a 19. I believe Space Odyssey was a 19. Yeah, that sounds right. I think I gave that a 9. Yep. Um, Tommy Boy, right up there, of course. <laughs> Tommy Boy collectively was, well, it was one plus whatever you gave it. I think I gave it a six or seven. <laughs> like, even though I brought it to the table as one of my favourites, I know it's not a ten. <laughs> Love it. Um, look, well, yeah, I guess I guess this might be, at least for the foreseeable future, the last time we, we sit down on the mics together. Next time we'll be in person We'll have been eating, we'll have been drinking, and we'll have been looking at hobbits. Yeah. So, who knows when that's going to be. As we mentioned, we are in lockdown. Uh, next week, I don't know what I'll have for you. I reckon it'll be Sam Hurley, and I reckon we'll be talking about Nicolas Cage and a pig. <laughs> but we'll see what the future holds. Um, and I don't know how long I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that without Toph. It's going to be sad without you around. You, you're my best friend, and I love you, buddy. Sorry, man. I'm just checking some messages. <laughs> You are not getting your box of beer that I've got in my garage. I am drinking that. Damn it. Find a podcast buddy that looks at you the way Sam Neill looks at a triceratops. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with uh, me, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all under the handle at wewatchthething. If you want to get in touch with Toph, um, you can't. Because he hates you. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't want to borrow you. Uh, if you want to help support me, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething. And uh, I, anyway, will catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. See ya. Oh, my God.